Well, I woke one morning, found you staring down at me. You said, I'll take my share now, Father, please. And you took your money, and you took your leave. And you took my heart and turned your back on me. And you hit the town And you hit the bottle hard And you raced around in your fancy cars And you blew all your money And brought those beds and bars And before you know your broken times get hard I still stand here waiting With my eyes fixed on the road And I fight back tears and wonder If you're ever coming home Don't you know, son, that I love you And I don't care where you've been So please come home Now you've hit bottom And all your open doors are shut And your hungry stomach's tied in knots But I know what you're thinking That you've troubled me enough But nothing could ever separate you from my love I still stand here waiting With my eyes fixed on the road And I fight back tears and wonder If you're ever coming home Don't you know, son, that I love you And I don't care where you've been And yes, I'll be right here waiting Till you come around the bend And I'll run to you and hold you close And I won't let go again So please come home Please come home Don't you know, son, that I love you And I don't care where you've been, so please come home. Thank you. All right, I'm going to see if I can move all this stuff without breaking anything. Or maybe Jeremy wants to help me do that so I can do the prayer. Uh, Oh, my gosh, what is going on? Uh, All right, (laughs) let's pray in preparation for the message this morning. Heavenly Father, pray that you would be with us. Uh, Be with the folks who are here to uh, hear your word and to worship you, Lord, that that their hearts would be uh, prepared to hear from you, Lord, that they would listen with open minds, and and Lord God, that your spirit would would permeate into them, that that you would fill them up uh, and fill their their hearts with 
with your gospel, with your son, and help them to walk away satisfied with you. And I pray that as I uh, unpack the scriptures, as I, as I share the, the text this morning, that you would be with me and help me, to, help me to glorify you, help me to focus on you, help me to point to you over and over again, Lord, that it wouldn't be my words, it wouldn't be my agenda, it wouldn't be my heart, but your heart that comes out. In Jesus' name, amen. We are on the whoop, parable of the lost son this week. Uh, the, there's a series of, of messages we've done, and actually I started in 14. Uh, this is Luke 15. I started in Luke 14. <laughs> I was thinking I wasn't funny yet. Did I? They're laughing at my suit. The, the, thanks, Jeremy. The, so I, I've actually been really excited to do this sermon, and I set out to do this sermon about a month ago. I, I read a book called Prodigal God which I highly recommend. I, it's one of the rare books that I read in a single sitting. I have the attention span of a goldfish. And, and this book knocked me over several times, and I, I read it in one day because it was so good. And there's a rereading of the prodigal son story. And I was preaching through Luke 14 anyway, and I said, well, I'll read Luke do 15 then right away. And, and as I did that, I realized they all connected together. And, and it's actually been a very exciting probably three months of preaching for me because I, the texts have all been like fun to research and, and everything else. And so I'm trying really hard to focus on sermon writing this week. And, and you know, we did the, the parable of the lost coin and the parable of the lost sheep. And, and this is the lost son. Like, and I broke him up and I all the whole time I'm wanting to do this one. And, and I, I'm just itching to get to it, and I have had the busiest week of my life. I, I think my day off this week was the 10 hours I drove to Kalispell and back. Uh, not the meeting that I was at in Kalispell, but the drive. <laughs> and so when I finally got to sermon writing late on Thursday afternoon, I, I was working, and Titus was with me, and I think that children have a radar that tells them it is time to bother Dad and get as much attention as possible, and, and Titus's is well-developed. It fired up because, because he knew I was busy and trying to get stuff done. And so I'm working, and he crawls into my lap and, and says, Dad, I want to sit in your lap a while. And I'm like, all right, Titus, you can sit in my lap. And, and then he gets down. And then about 30 seconds later, he gets back up. And then he gets back down, and he gets back up, and he starts typing, stop that, you know, and he starts rifling around on my desk. And, and he, he finds a dime and he says, dad, can I have this dime or can I have this coin? Right. And I said, yes, Titus, you can have the coin. Just don't put it in your mouth. And he says, well, I'm going to put it in my piggy bank. And so that's good. You won't lose it that way. He says, all right, well, I'm going to put it in my pocket until then. Okay, Titus, put it in your pocket. And so he tries to put it in his pocket and he can't. He says, dad, can you put this in my pocket for me? Oh my gosh, child. So I take the coin and I stick it in his pocket. And about 30 seconds later, he says, Dad, I want the coin out of my pocket now. I said, all right, son, I'll take it out of your pocket. So I get the little coin out of his pocket and I give it to him. And he messes with it. The first thing he does is he puts it in his mouth. He says, Stop that. Don't put the coin in your mouth. That's not okay. And then he sticks the coin back in his pocket. But he can't. So he says, Dad. And, and at this point, I'm getting kind of frustrated. I, I think as, as the graduating class is leaving and y'all are present, every parent will acknowledge that there are days that, that, that young people drive us insane. Is it true? Thank you. <laughs> and, and so coin into the pocket, coin out, coin in, coin out, over and over again, and I'm getting nothing done. And then he drops the stupid thing. And I'm like, 
you know, and he says, Dad, i got to go look for it. All right, get down and look for it. And so he gets down, and he's crawling all over and moving stuff and knocking things over. And I have very carefully piled stuff in my space. It all is there for a reason. Some of it is um, like as a, as a monument, uh, admittedly, but, but it is all important. And so he's moving things around, and he starts getting upset. And he says, Dad, I can't find it. So, all right, well, it's just a dime, son. I'll give you a quarter when we get home if you will stop talking. He says, Dad, I need my dime. Come on, Dad, I, I need my coin. Come on, Dad, help me find it. Finally, and I mean, I'm telling you, working with a four-year-old means that there is junk spread everywhere. I, I have been stepping on pieces of a game for months that he has spread out. We've only played it once, and all the pieces are lost now. And, and I've been stepping on them and tripping over them and finding them and slowly rebuilding the game set. And, and I get down and I move the paper cutter and I move the speakers and I'm moving things. And, and this dumb dime is gone. And I thought, man, I bet I could go find a dime somewhere else and pretend I found it. Um, and it would be faster. Finally, I have a computer and I move the computer aside and I find the lost dime and a lost game piece. <laughs> And I thought, well, that's funny. I'm writing about the lost son, and I found myself a lost coin and a lost sheep that my son was looking for. Um, and, and I thought, man, I've got to open with this because, <laughs> because it's just too funny. I think God has a sense of humor, and, and I think sometimes I take myself too seriously. So as I, as I dive into the text, I will acknowledge the irony that I'm talking about a son who leaves home and goes far away on graduation Sunday. Um, and, and so, but it wasn't intentional. The... Uh, the text we're looking at is at the tail end of a series. Uh, the first uh, story is about a lost coin, this, or a lost sheep. The second story is about a lost coin. And, and these stories are being told to the Pharisees, specifically. And we often lose sight of that when we read the prodigal son's story, because it's not actually a story about the prodigal son. It is a story about the older son. You got that? I mean, it's not to say that the prodigal son is not important, but the story is about the older son. Because the Pharisees show up as Jesus is eating with sinners and tax collectors. And he's eating with them, and they get upset because you don't eat with people who are bad, because that's endorsing their lifestyle. And it's endorsing them as socially acceptable. And they get upset, and they start grumbling. And Jesus responds to that grumbling by saying, hey... Suppose one of you, and the first story is a whole long sentence that's a question, suppose one of you loses a sheep, wouldn't you leave the rest of your sheep and go find it? And when you found it, wouldn't you put it on your shoulders and have a party because you found it? You would do that, wouldn't you? And the answer is, yes, of course I would. It would be a big deal. And then he says, if, you know, suppose one of, you know, a woman loses a coin and she searches for it, and then she finds it and she has a party because she's so excited to find it. Like, like, you would have a party too, wouldn't you? And he's asking the Pharisees this, and the implication is, of course we would. And there's a progression here. There's a bunch of progressions, by the way. The sheep is one in a hundred. Got it? One in a hundred. Um, the coin is a, a drachma, which is a Greek uh, coin, a Greek gold coin. It's the only time it's mentioned in the New Testament. And that Greek gold coin is worth as much as a sheep. You could buy a sheep with it. But it's one in ten. So the value is increased. And now we reach the next one, and it is one of two. We go from sheep to money to son. And this is sort of a Jewish rabbi argument. Jesus is breaking out the rabbi playbook, and he's, he's showing them argument from lesser to the greater. If this is important enough to search for and celebrate when it's found, if this is important to search for and celebrate when it's found, 
what about this? And he's really talking about the Pharisees because they will not share God's heart in celebrating the redemption of the lost. And so that's our largest context, our larger context, and what prompted the discussion. Uh, as we dive into the text, the first one is, and he said to them, there was a man who had two sons. Now, this is, again, the third one, the two, so we have a much greater connection. Obviously, one's older and one's younger, right? And anybody who's got an older and a younger son know how well they get along. Um, and, and that's sort of implied in the story as we go. But he opens us up, two sons, greater value. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me my share of the property that is coming to me. Now, we're going to hit pause there. It's, I pause a lot. This portion of the story... Um, is sometimes misrepresented. Uh, Romans at the time would, it wasn't that unusual for a father to hand out inheritance before he died. Like it actually did happen occasionally. Um, it was rarer for Jews, but they did it too. And in fact, there was Jewish law that allowed it, but strongly discouraged the practice. So for a father to give out um, an inheritance early, it could happen. It's not quite unheard of. However, for a son to come to the father and say, hey, you know what? You're not dying fast enough, buddy. Can I go ahead and get my share of the fortune now? That is unheard of. And it's enormously insulting. Uh, and, actually, I'm sure the farmers in, in the room understand this. You know, on paper, y'all are worth millions of dollars, right? Because you have equipment and farms and everything else. This is a man who is wealthy because he has a farm, and so the son comes and says, I want my share. In order to divide it up, he has to start, like, liquidating some assets. Um, and so he breaks the farm up between his sons. This is not the lion's share of the farm, by the way, because we're talking about the younger brother. The older brother would get twice, you know, would two-thirds, and then the younger son would get a third. And that was actually in Roman law. You couldn't do what you wanted with your property. You had to hand it off in that order. Uh, for those of you who are older sons, there is biblical precedent may want to bring that home with you. Uh, just saying. <laughs> so he says, give me what I have coming to me. There's an indication here as to what's going on in their relationship. This is a son who looks at his father and he does not see a loving member of the family. Does not see someone he loves. He sees somebody who is a means to an end. How many dads in the room have ever said, hey, I am not a money tree? <laughs> right? I am not an ATM. You do not come to me to ask for money. That is how these guys, this son, is looking at his father. He is the source of wealth, not somebody he loves, not somebody he wants to spend time with, not somebody he cares about, but somebody he wants something from. And that is tragic on its own, right? By the way, it's a family system because the older son does the same thing. And we'll talk about that when we get there. But it is a huge deal. This is a deeply insulting, deeply injurious thing for the son to say to his father. And he divided his property between them. Check this out. Older son got his share too, right? He, he takes the property, he divides it up, and hands out the inheritance. The younger son was not the only one who got a payout here. And, and so he divided the property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property on reckless living. That is as much as we are told about what he does. He lives recklessly. It, it um, is actually where the story, the name prodigal son comes from. Uh, the word prodigal means reckless spender, right? Did you know that? 
We always say, oh, the prodigal son's returned. Like, it doesn't mean you wandered off and got lost. It means you spend too much money. And so this son liquidates the farm. Dad wakes up one day, and a third of the farm has been sold, and he's gone. And he runs off to a foreign land, and he parties. And, and we don't know exactly how he parties, but the implication is that it's pretty bad. And, and he spends everything that he has. He, he lives the life he thinks he should have had before, right? He looks at his dad and he says, this is the life you should have given me. This is what makes me happy. Being with you makes me decidedly unhappy. I'm out of here. Goes and he blows all his money. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his field to feed the pigs. Now, usually when this is preached about, people will talk about the fact that Jewish people do not, do not even touch pigs. Actually, in the entire ancient world, like pig farming was not looked kindly on. Sorry, guys. Uh, Durgus. Um, pig farming was not considered to be a good thing. In Egypt, actually, it was, there were laws against keeping pigs within a certain number of miles of a city because um, they were considered to be like, like not unclean in the way that, uh, that the Jews considered them to be unclean, but it was considered to be kind of a lesser job. Everybody loves bacon. Nobody wants to raise pigs. Um, and so for this Jewish man to be feeding these pigs, it is a humiliating thing no matter what context it is. But for a Jew especially, this is low, 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 right? This is destitute beyond words. This is humiliating. This is embarrassing. This is rock bottom. Because while he's out there feeding the pigs, he is longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. Now, there's a couple of ways you could read this, and it's been read a bunch of different ways. It's possibly saying, man, I wish I could sit down with the pigs and eat, but I'm not even that high on the totem pole. That's bad, right? Man, I wish I could eat with the livestock. They got it better than me, and they did have it better than him. The pods that were being served are called carob pods. They are barely edible to people. During times of famine in the ancient world, people would eat carob pods, but they were almost inedible, and they would generally kind of make you sick, and, and it was not the kind of thing that you would eat. He is looking at this, this slop and saying, wow, I wish I had that. I wish I had that company. I wish I had that meal. I wish I had this. Um, and no one gave him anything, meaning the people he's working for do not even deem him of enough quality to feed him slop. I mean, he's, he's at rock bottom, right? Sometimes folks end up there. I don't know if anybody else in the room has. I've been pretty close to it at one or two times in my life, and, and it is a bad place to be. It is the place where you realize that even the unclean animals are doing better than you are. Even the, the animals that are eating garbage are doing better than you are. Um, you look around you and you look at, at the most wicked people you know and you're numbered in that number. Um, that is a awful, awful place to be. Um, it's, he's humiliated, he's broken, he's alone. But when he came to himself, now this phrase, translation is funny because it's not always easy to like bring out the cultural implications of what's being said. And he says he comes to his senses. What he's actually saying is in Hebrew Aramaic, this phrase would mean he repented and repented is sort of a Hebrew word, right? It's a combination of two things, meaning he felt a great deal of sorrow and he turned around and went the other way or he went back home. Like in his 
heart and mind, he hit a point where he said, I have blown it big. I could not have blown it worse than I have, and I need to, I need to stop. He is at the bottom, and he realizes, i got to get out of here. And he said, how many of my father's servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here for hunger, with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Now, he's going back. Being treated as a hired servant, the phrase there implies what he's actually asking is to become a slave of a servant in order to become an apprentice so he can learn a job and have value, right? In in a Jewish community, it would be the case that the father would have servants, and these guys would have a job, and they would take apprentices, and that's kind of what he's wanting to jump into is an apprenticeship. Start me at the bottom, Dad. Make me a slave. Anything, just take me back. And he says father three times in this phrase. Father, father, father. Because in all of his repentance and all of his brokenness and all of his realization of how bad it is, he has shifted from dad is a means to an end to dad will have mercy on me. I miss dad. I want to go back to dad. I want this. And so he walks barefoot. The text implies he's barefoot and destitute. And he arrives home. Um, and he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. Now, um, there's a couple of things that are sort of in this. The father's house probably was in a village. The dad being old, uh, or elder, that's it, elder. And that's for you, uh, Ross. <laughs> He's elder, and he, he probably would sit at the city gates and be a judge or what have you. He's a person of, of prestige. And so at the city gates, he could see the guy far way off, right? And he sees him a long way off, and he realizes that his son is about to walk in front of people that he knew his whole life and be humiliated by, like, the fact that everybody knows he blew it. And everybody probably gathered around because it's a Jerry Springer moment because he's going to show up at home and Dad's going to kick him to the curb, Right? And he realizes how horrible that will be. And he realizes how broken his son is. And he gets up and he runs out to him and ran and embraced him. Now, they wore robes in the ancient world. And so in order to run in a robe, you have to hike up your skirt and run. Um, Children ran. Warriors ran. um, Like men of dignity in the ancient world never, ever ran. Specifically because they never exposed their legs to, to people. And so for the father to do this, not only does he run out to his child, but he humiliates himself running out to his child. He debases himself in front of everybody so his son doesn't have to walk back alone. Like, think about that. Not only has the son said, you're an ATM to me, Dad, and I kind of wish I could get over the ATM part and get away from you. Um, And not only has he wasted a third of the farm that the father has probably received in generations from the rest of the family, Like, not only has he humiliated himself and ended up feeding pigs and unclean and everything else, um, like, like he's at the bottom. And the father runs out to make sure that he, that he knows he wants him back. Um, he feels compassion. He feels brokenhearted for his son. And actually, this is what God does in Jesus. Jesus sees us. He sees us, us man, women, everyone. And he sees us in our sin. And he sees us far away. And Jesus steps out of heaven where he's worshipped by angels. And he's born. Being born is gross. Right? It is. Um, being born is not dignified. 
Being born is messy. He had to be toilet trained. All of this stuff, he humiliated himself and then was hung on a cross for your behalf. Like, like took your sin and bore it on himself. Like God humiliated himself on your behalf to bring you back because he loves you that profoundly. He loves you so much he will willingly set aside his glory that's constant and owed to him, um, that it's a matter of fact of his existence, and humiliate on your behalf. He ran and embraced him and kissed him. What it, the embraced him literally means he fell on his neck. The father ran out and grabbed his son and like fell on him. He was so overjoyed. And he kissed him and he you know, welcomed him back. By the way, he is obviously welcoming him back. What has the son not done yet? He hasn't said a word, right? It is not the son's confession that saved him that had him welcome back. It was the fact that the son came back at all. This should be important. If you are stuck in the pit, if you have found yourself stuck in sin, lost and, and alone, or if you find yourself that, there one day, um, repentance means turn around and heading back toward God. That's what it means. It means taking a step toward God. And if you take that step toward God, he will take a step toward you. Not only a step, but he will run out and pick you up because he wants you back that badly. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe. He's like, I don't even want to hear it. Let's just get in and let's have a party because you're back. I don't even, there's time for that later. Let's celebrate. And he tells his servant, get the best robe. By the way, this is not the son's robe that he left behind. This would be a special robe that was set aside for a dignitary or a person of wealth who visited the house. Like he brings out the best of the best and puts it on him. And he put a ring on his hand. In the ancient world, this is a sign of authority. It would have been a signet ring. And so it's an indication, hey, we're welcoming you, welcoming you back as, a, as an honored guest, as a beloved guest. And not only are we welcoming you back, you get the same position you had. You have my authority. You are my son again. There is no slave talk. There's no nothing. Because the son was going to come back and say, hey, make me a slave. I just want to be back. And the father says, hey, you're my son. You're alive again. You're back with us. Um, and he says, and he put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. This would have been sandals on his feet, but it doesn't say sandals because it's not as obvious to us. Um, we always think everybody wore sandals back then, and actually sandals were terribly expensive. Servants and slaves went barefoot. Um, sons wore sandals. Um, this is an indication that the father like, he has no intention of taking him back as anything but a son, and he's overjoyed and and broken with with like gladness over his son's return um, and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Now the fattened calf, this would be a calf that you kept aside and extra fed for the specific purpose of parties. You didn't eat meat very often. It wasn't the most common thing for people to eat meat at meals. This would have been beyond just having like hamburger or a steak. This is, we are going to have the best of the best that we've been saving up forever, Right? This is, I think my parents at one point had a bottle of champagne that they saved for a long time. And they, I don't know when it ever got opened or drank or whatever, but like, I mean, I might be wrong about that. So if my parents are listening, I'm sorry, I, I correct that. But like, like this would be that, you know, we're going to bring out this thing that we've been saving for a special occasion, like a once in a lifetime kind of celebration. Um, 
and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this is my son who is dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Um, now I'm going to pause here a second. A party breaks out. This banquet they're having is intentional because every story before it has a party, right? Found the lost sheep, let's have a party. Found the lost coin, let's have a party. Um, and actually the story before that, Jesus is at a party with sinners and they're celebrating. Uh, you know, intentional. Even before that, he was eating with the Pharisees and they were giving him grief for doing things his own way and not obeying them. And they refused to participate in the party that it was to like eat with the Son of God. Um, and so like there's super intentional stuff here. He's saying the Pharisees won't celebrate. They won't. They don't want it. They don't share God's heart. Um, there are some folks who reach this point. They say, I'm going to come back to God, and they're so ashamed of themselves that Jesus says, I forgive you, I welcome you in, I adopt you as one of my children. You are where you were meant to be. And they say, whoa, 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 whoa. I didn't come back to be a son again. I came back to be a slave. Let me finish my confession, and let me lower myself, and let me beat myself up for the rest of my life. i got some baggage i got to carry with me until I die. And there are people who do that. Right? There are people who will say, God has forgiven me, but I'm not going to accept it. And that is not what we're called to do. We're called to come back to Jesus, and there's a party that happens. Um, there's celebration. Now, his older son was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house and heard the music and dancing. Um, and he called out to one of the servants and asked what, what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come home, and your father has filled the killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. It sounds like the servant is celebrating too, doesn't it? I mean, it sounds like the servant is on board. Everybody's on board with the party except the older brother. But he was angry and refused to go in. Now, they're having a celebration, a banquet. If you refuse to walk into the banquet, it is an insult, right? We talked about this in the great banquet sermon where Jesus basically goes after the Pharisees and says, you guys aren't going to be a part of the great banquet because you are not concerned about me. You're concerned about you. And because until you are concerned about me, you're stuck. As long as you're concerned about you more than me, as long as you love you more than me, you're going to stand outside of the banquet. Um, this is, I mean, like a chapter previous, almost exactly, uh, like 60 verses or something. I mean, like these are connected stories. The son is the Pharisees, right? He refused to go and he stood out and publicly insulted his father to the world. Um, and his father came out and entreated him. His father came out and begged him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you. I have never disobeyed your command. You were never and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when, his, when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. Now watch this. The older son backs up and says, hey, I've served you forever. The word that's used there is actually, I have slaved for you, old man. Right? It's sort of funny because the younger son shows up expecting to be a slave, hoping to be a slave, and he's welcomed back as a son. The older son, who never left, assumed he was a slave the whole time. Like, he never desired to know his father. He never desired to love his father. He never desired to celebrate with his father. The whole time he said, oh, I'm doing this for you, but I'm getting something in the end, right? He looked at the father the same way the younger son looked at him. 
He was hard-hearted and dead inside and cold and bitter and just saying, man, I'm going to keep working at my goodness and awesomeness and my father owes me everything when it's all said and done. He owes me. And there are a lot of believers that do this. The Pharisees were doing this. We go to church every Sunday. We do our job. We obey. We do everything exactly right. But we do it because we have to, because we're slaves, not because we're sons, not because we're brothers, not because we love, not because we celebrate, not because we're grateful, but because if I do this long enough, God owes me. Older son just as lost as the younger son, ain't he? Actually, he's more lost because at least the younger son knew it. The older son thought he was doing the right thing and thought he was pleasing the father. And in the end, like he was selfish. He was self-centered. He was dead inside. Like he was more dead than the younger son. And it's, golly, it's got to be heartbreaking for the father, right? And actually, he doesn't even acknowledge the son. Did you catch that? He says, that son of yours, not my brother, right? Not child of our mother, but that son of yours. He won't even acknowledge the other son as his brother. Like, he won't even acknowledge the connection, which is basically what the Pharisees are doing. They're saying, hey, you're eating with tax collectors and sinners. You love them more than you love us. Like, what is wrong with you? And in the end, they're just saying, hey, those people. And in reality, they're brothers. In reality, they, they were, like, of the same, like, family of God. They were sons of Abraham. They didn't care because they were so self-focused. Um, The other thing, little detail that's easy to miss here, he devoured your property with prostitutes. Like, actually, we don't even know that, right? We just know he lived wild. Um, The older son filled in the details, didn't he? And that's easy to do when you think about somebody doing the wrong thing and you start thinking, oh, I bet I know what's going on. And all of a sudden you get this huge, like, collection of, and it's what the older brother's doing is he's saying, I am good and you are bad. And I'm going to magnify my goodness by focusing on your badness. He's building a tower to heaven. And he'll never arrive. Um, he's living a, like an empty existence. An awful place to be. Um, the son, the younger son is re-inherited. He's brought back in. And the older son hangs out in the dark. Far away from his father. Because he doesn't love him. He loves himself. And he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And the story ends there. Jesus doesn't say, and then the older brother stomped off, or and then the older brother came to his senses, and then the older brother sat down and took a nap. We don't know what happens next. Because what he's doing is he's putting it back on the Pharisees, and he's saying, you going to celebrate with me? You're going to share my heart? You love me like I love you? you know, or do you use me like your younger brother used me? Um, where are you at, boy? And we don't know. But it comes back on all of us. I mean, I, I realized as I was studying this, I am both sons at one point or the other. Isn't that crazy? Like some days I don't want to celebrate with God because I want to see some divine retribution played out. Right? Um. I I think the son's attitude is found in all of us where, like every story that's come before, the sheep is looked for, the coin is looked for. Who the heck goes and looks for the brother? No one. Whose job is it? Well, I guess if you go by the Old Testament, my my brother's keeper is almost the question to be asked. Well, of course not. Except it was the older brother's job to go find me and look because he was busy earning his way into heaven. 
He wasn't busy worrying about what the father wanted. And the father wanted his son back. If he had shared his father's heart, he would have given up the work he was doing and gone and gotten him and dragged him home by the ear. You know how brothers do. Um, But he didn't. He didn't want it. My challenge for you, and actually this is Jesus' challenge for you. I'm just sharing the story, right? Where's your heart at? Have you wandered off? Are you sitting out there wishing you could eat with the pigs because you're so low? Are you back home and insisting that you'll play the slave and never be the son? Are you standing out in the dark judging everybody who comes by you? Judging yourself even, maybe. Are you searching for your lost brother? Are you sitting back and waiting, oh, God's going to get that guy? What fills your heart? Is it joy with the Father? Do you share his heart and his emotion and his soul? Like his spirit, ultimately? Or are you filled with anger and rage and bitterness? All of us have to face that. If you're in any spot other than the Son walking in to celebrate with Him and recognizing that that you need Jesus, you need His death for you, you need His grace, you need forgiveness, um, that you will never earn your way to heaven, but that you need God's love on your life. And that your brothers and sisters next door to you, everywhere you go, they need it too. Like, like that's where we're designed to be. That's what we're called to be. That's what is put on him. Next week, we're going to look at Ezekiel 34, and then I'm going to go on vacation the following week. Um, and we're going to look at this job that we have to go out and look. And how desperately God desires for the lost son to come back, for the lost sheep to come back. Um, Let's pray and we'll do a blessing and and we'll go and do our graduation lunch. All right? Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with us um, today. I pray that you would water the word with your spirit, Lord. That we would come to recognize if if we're one son or the other, if we're the servant celebrating alongside you, Father. Uh, I pray that you would give us your grace and your mercy and your your heart. that we could constantly come back to you and constantly drink at the, at the cup of your mercy and constantly feed on the, on the bread of life that is Jesus. Amen. Let's uh, stand up and we'll close with a blessing. May you be the kind of people who go looking for the lost son. May you be the kind of people that love God because you love God, not because he gives you stuff. And may you be the kind of people who pray for the graduates as they go out in the world and know that they're not getting lost. They're going out to do great things. Amen.